This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. It's been fantastic to be on this journey through this shortest of the Gospels. Trust you've really enjoyed that. And in the month of May, two things have arrived. Number one, church app. That's good. And number two, we're in the last four chapters of the book of Mark. So this month our focus is Mark 13, 14, 15, and 16. And it's a very intense read. Have any of you read Mark 13, 14, 15, 16 recently? Okay, a few people. It's intense. It continues to be fast moving and there's lots happening. But in these four chapters, we're into the last week of Jesus' earthly life. And uh, there's a sense throughout the chapters of this impending climax. Uh, There's a sense, if I could put it this way, there's a sense of catastrophe. Something is about to happen. And um, I don't know whether to read it as, as an observer or as a participant or both. You get that sense of, I'm sort of part, I'm watching this from afar, but I'm there in the mix of what's happening. And um, I think if you read it, if you read it properly, there's a range of emotions that you will experience as you read it. If you could just turn to Mark 13, I'd just like us to look at what's in there and we'll read some passages that just give us a flavor, uh, but I really encourage you to read more at home of what's going on in these chapters. So in chapter 13, Jesus teaches about the end times and the return of Christ. And um, I think that's probably on the Monday or the Tuesday of this final week. And then in chapter 14, you'll see that he's anointed by, um, John's gospel tells us it's Mary, Mary, the sister of Martha, one of two occasions that Jesus is, is anointed, but this is an anointing um, which he says is towards his burial. Uh, that's on Tuesday. Then on Thursday, as we get into um, the second half of chapter 14, you'll see there's the preparations for the Passover. There's then chapter, verse 17 of chapter 14 is the betrayal by Judas or the, um, the, the prediction of that betrayal. And then verse 22, the, the last time Jesus eats the Passover with his disciples, what we call the Last Supper, uh, when he institutes the Lord's Supper. And then he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and um, prays and the disciples don't last the pace with him. And then Judas arrives, verse 43, and betrays him with a kiss. And then Jesus is taken before the Sanhedrin, where he's, um, the the sort of, the trial and the accusations begin. And um, Peter denies his Lord uh, three times before the cock crows twice, something also Jesus predicted that's the end of chapter 14 and then chapter 15 he's taken to face Pilate this is the morning of the Friday 
and Pilate hands him over to be crucified and he's mocked by the soldiers, he's crucified and um, in verses 33 of chapter 15 you'll see he uh, breathes his last and then is buried by a man named Joseph, we'll come back to him in a moment. Then chapter 16 is Sunday morning, praise God. And uh, Jesus is risen and appears to some of the disciples and also gives them a great commission before ascending to heaven. So it's uh, an amazing read and I do encourage you to, um, to go through it, um, read, them, read them all in one sitting. Let's just read a few verses together and then I want to highlight just uh, a, a small number of things. So we go back to chapter 13. Verse 1, as he was, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. As he was going out of the temple complex, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look, what massive stones, what impressive buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here on another uh, that will not be thrown down. And while he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple complex, Peter, James, and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to take place? And Jesus began by telling them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Then he describes a few more things that will happen. Um, describes something called the abomination that causes desolation. And a time of great tribulation and trial. Have a look at verse 21. He says, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah. Look there. Do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and will perform signs and wonders to lead you astray, if possible, the elect. And you must watch. I've told you everything in advance. And then, after, those, after that tribulation in those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the sky. Verse 32, he says, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except for the Father. Watch, be alert. And he says a few more things. Then chapter 14. After two days, it was the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were looking for a treacherous way to arrest and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, or there may be rioting among the people. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon, who had a serious skin disease, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard, and she broke the jar and poured it on his head. 
but some were expressing indignation to one another. Why has this fragrant oil been wasted? For this oil might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they began to scold her. And then Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She's done a noble thing for me. You always have the poor with you and you can do good for them whenever you want, but you do not always have me. As she has done, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body in advance for burial. And I assure you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. And then we'll jump to verse 17. When evening came, he arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, I assure you, one of you will betray me, one who's eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him, one by one, surely not I. And he said to them, it is one of the twelve, the one who's dipping bread with me in the bowl. For the Son of Man will go just as it's written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he'd not been born. Then there's the description of the supper. I'll take you to verse um, 37. And then he came and found them sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you don't, so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 43, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived and with him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one, arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, he went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they took hold of him and arrested him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his ear. Uh, I think in another gospel he gets healed, praise God. Um, 51, sorry. Uh, yeah, 51. A certain young man, having a linen cloth wrapped around his naked body and generally assumed to be Mark, the author of the gospel, a certain young man having a linen cloth wrapped around his naked body was following him and they caught hold of him, but he left the linen cloth behind and ran away naked. And then uh, verse 61, Jesus kept silent and did not answer anything. And again, the high priest questioned him, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? I am, said Jesus, and all of you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And when the high priest then the high priest tore his robes and he said, why do we still need witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Verse 70. Then again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and to swear with an oath. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And then he thought about it. He began to weep. Chapter 15, 
Verse 1, as soon as it was morning, the chief priests had a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin. And after tying Jesus up, they led him away and handed him over to Pilate. And then um, we read of the, uh, the freeing of Barabbas and the uh, mocking of Jesus and then the crucifixion between the two criminals. Verse 33. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and fixed it on a reed, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. And then the curtain of the sanctuary was split in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, this man really was God's son. And chapter 16, I'll just pick it up from verse um, 9. Early on the first day of the week after he'd risen... He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd driven seven demons. And she went and reported to those who'd been with him as they were mourning and weeping. And yet when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe it. And then after this, he appeared in a different form to two of them walking on their way into the country. Read the end of Luke's gospel for more of that one. And they went and reported it to the rest who did not believe them either. And later he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who saw him after he'd been resurrected. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages. They will pick up snakes. And if they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. And then after speaking to them, the Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word by the accompanying signs. It's just wonderful, isn't it? What a, well, I think the the title here is The End and the Beginning. And that's what it is. And um, let me just highlight four things that as I read that, these chapters this week, I felt this is something the Lord wants to say to us this morning. Firstly is this, um, we must stay focused. Chapter 13, which is paralleled in Matthew 24, is like a mini version of the book of Revelation. And in chapter 13, Jesus describes events that will precede his return. 
It talks about wars and earthquakes and uh, famines and betrayals and persecutions. Uh, the abomination, the abominable thing that will, that will be a terrible sacrilege. And uh, times of tribulation and false prophets and false messiahs and darkness. And there's much to look at in there. And later in the year, we are doing one of our boundary stones on the return of Christ. Maybe we'll come back to some of those things. They're all real. They're all important. But passages like this have ensnared and trapped and distracted the church over the centuries. As believers have um, spent their time and their focus watching out for the signs. What are the signs of the times? What are the signs that the end is drawing near? Whereas the whole emphasis of the passage, as I read it, is that Jesus is not intending them to get, um, to get distracted by speculation and, um, and idle thoughts about what might or might not be happening in the world. Look at the emphasis he brings. He says, um, no one knows the day or the hour. It is pointless to speculate about the day or the hour. Even the Son doesn't know, only the Father in heaven. And, and the real emphasis is this, there are other things we should be spending our time on. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. Don't worry about the other signs. Let, let, let's just focus on that one. That'll be the biggest sign of the times, that the gospel is being proclaimed to all creatures. Look at some of the warnings Jesus gives them. Don't be deceived. Don't be alarmed. Don't be distracted by turmoil in the world. Don't be worried about what to say. Don't be caught out. Don't believe false prophets. Why? Because there's work to be done. There's good news to be shared. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't get ready for my return by spending your time focusing on the signs of the times, but rather stay ready all the time by being prayerful, by being in the word, by, by keeping short accounts, by being in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, by focusing on what we do know to do rather than what we don't know to do. It's never been a big emphasis of ours in this community to uh, speculate about the signs of the times. I'd much rather we emphasize what we know, which is the gospel must be preached in all the nations. Yeah. I think um, how, how important for us, if, if this is our declaration for this year, that we stay really focused. The second thing I'd like to highlight is this, that um, I've just called this point, we'll never know how dark it was. We'll never know how dark it was. There's a little verse in chapter 15. In the heart of the crucifixion story, verse 33, which we could easily overlook, says, when it was about noon, Jesus was was um, nailed to the cross at nine in the morning. When it was about noon, three hours later, 
darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Darkness for three hours. And um, that's all we read about. We don't get any further explanation of that. We know that in the Old Testament, darkness uh, was, was sent over the whole land of Egypt as one of the plagues, wasn't it? There was a plague of darkness. Amos, the prophet Amos in chapter 8 verse 9 speaks about or prophesies of a time when there will be darkness over the land as a sign of judgment. And I guess you, you may well say here's a fulfillment of that. Certainly the the light of the world was hanging on the cross and the world that he'd come into had rejected him. And as he, as he hung there, and if I could put it this way, as the light was being slowly extinguished, darkness came over the land. But I think the real clues as to why it was dark for three hours are are really in that cry of Jesus at the end. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? If you think about what was happening in the invisible realm as Jesus hung on the cross, maybe we'll understand something of the darkness that came over the land. I'd like you to turn back with me to Isaiah 53. In Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, speaking of of Christ, it says, Yet he, he himself bore our sicknesses, he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. Turn with me to uh, 1 Peter where he quotes from Isaiah 53. One Peter chapter uh, two. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounding, you have been healed. He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. He was afflicted. He was pierced. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment was on him. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. I can't explain it, but I, I think this darkness is the physical 
cosmic manifestation of what was happening to Jesus on the cross as sin and disease and sickness and pain was heaped on him, as the horrors of the fall were falling on the Holy One. For a few dreadful, unimaginable hours, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he became sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For a few hours, the father turned his face away from his beloved who'd become sin and he was abandoned. You know, we often focus on the on the physical horrors that Jesus went through. But there was something infinitely worse than that. I believe that's what Jesus was anticipating in the garden. That Jesus was separated from his Father. The darling of heaven was crucified. You know, we sing... I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. And Judas Judas had betrayed him and Peter had denied him. But this is worse by far. That sense, maybe that reality that the father had abandoned him in this moment. Peter says, the one who denied him, later writes this, he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin, sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I, I really want to have a fresh, fresh appreciation, don't you, of what Jesus did for me and did for you, and did for us, and did for our families, and did for our friends, and did for our neighbors. Because the third thing I feel to highlight this morning is that we have a great commission. We have a great commission, and um, those verses at the end, let's just read them again later, chapter 16. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table. He rebuked that. This seems a little harsh, doesn't it? But there you go. He rebuked their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they didn't believe those who saw him after he'd been resurrected. Then he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it won't harm them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. We'll come to the last couple of verses in just a moment. But here's the thing, folks. Despite the intensity of the situation, despite the pressing threats, despite the the impending sense of calamity and of what's about to happen, the good news is never far away. In that description of the end times, 
He says the good news must first be proclaimed to all the nations. When Mary has, um, has anointed him for burial and washed and, and, and broken the perfume over him, it says this, what she's done, this will be, this will be told wherever the good news is preached in all creation. And then at the end, right at the end, we have this commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. And for me, I, I don't know whether it's the same for you, there's a sense that it's all been leading to this. The whole of Mark, our journey through these four, five months of the year has all been leading to this point. His miracle working life his teaching, the Last Supper, the terrible travail in the garden, the horrors of the crucifixion, the, the abandonment by the Father, the three hours of darkness, the resurrection. It's all for a gospel we can preach. And you know what? It's not just a great commission. It's huge. It's enormous. It is, in common parlance, it is epic. The epic commission. The whole of the book's been leading to this. A triumphant, resurrected, death-defying, disease-destroying Jesus sending out his church to reach the multitudes that one man alone could not reach. This is epic. The church sent into the world to preach, to baptize to drive out demons, to lay hands on the sick, and signs will accompany this gospel preaching by the church. In, um, in a version of this by, by N.T. Wright, this is how he translates verse 17. We have these signs will accompany those who believe. I like this little turn of phrase. These things will happen around those who believe. These things will happen around those who believe. We're good to be around, folks. Really good to be around. These things will happen around those who believe. It's, it's significant that he places healing in the heart of the gospel message. Death and disease entered the world after the fall. They were never part of God's original plan. But Psalm 103 assures us God is a healer. It is his will to heal. And, and, and the Lord sees forgiveness of sins and healing of diseases as a, as a package deal. They go together because his, his intent is to destroy all the works of the enemy. On the cross, as we've read, Jesus took all our infirmities upon himself as well as all our sin. 1 Peter 2, 24. Jesus preached a gospel of the kingdom, or wherever he went, he healed all those who were sick, all those who had diseases. Now we live in this, this overlap of the ages, in which the age that we're in, the present age, is fast fading away, and the age to come is invading this present age. We're tasting the powers of the age to come. We may not yet see everything under our feet and under his feet, but everything truly is positionally under his feet. Yeah. 
read the beginning of Hebrews, under our feet. This is an overlap of the ages in which the kingdom is, has both come and is coming. In which the age to come is invading and yet will be fully manifest amongst us. This is a great time to be alive. I really appreciated Steve's encouragement last week. We can dig into these scriptures. We can find our identity in Christ. We need not be anxious about anything because who we are is fully described for us in here. Faith comes by hearing the word. We must not be passive. I agree, we must not wait to be invited to have hands laid on us. Don't wait to be invited. Do you know the the scriptures say, if anyone is sick, call the elders of the church. God has made provision in the church. Elders. The world doesn't have elders. The church has elders. If anyone is sick, call for the elders. But the word to the church is, if anybody's sick, call for the, the word for the world is, if you're sick, let the church come to you. The church has elders and the world has the church. This great commission, this epic commission, is they will go out, they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. I love the fact that Jesus didn't list 55 caveats. He wants our faith to be up here. If we need to persist, we will persist. When James tells us, if anybody's sick, call for the elders, he gives us Elijah as the example of a man who prayed and saw results. And yet we know Elijah had to keep praying for the rain to come. We will persist because God has said he wants us to be a haven of health together. We've declared this year to be a year of gospel explosion. I... I don't think I'm going to get tired of those four Gs. Maybe it's a decade of gospel explosion. But there's four months gone. First of May today, one third of the year already elapsed. Wow. That's scary, isn't it? We've seen people saved, seen people baptized, seen people healed, seen people restored. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But there's so much more, folks. Perhaps you could just um, give your neighbor a big, hearty tap on the back and just say, there's so much more for you this year. (laughs) That wasn't hearty. It was lightweight. I've got one more point still, so don't get too, don't get too relaxed. The other thing I, I appreciated as I read these chapters, I love the way that Jesus keeps their focus away from things they can't predict. Gives them enough information to give them a, some tram lines, but just says, just keep going. I love the... I I don't love the way, but I appreciate afresh why it was so dark for three hours. I love the fact we've got an epic commission. The other thing I appreciated reading these chapters was the number of um, 
the number of people that get named in the story. Um, interesting, right at the beginning there, when they are on the Mount of Olives and Jesus is about to describe signs of the times, signs of the end times, it says uh, Peter, James, and John. Now we're familiar with those three, aren't we? Those three always, always got the best gigs, you know, the most intimate moments. But but now it's Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. Oh, okay, Andrew. Andrew's there. Then um, then uh, we read about. Uh, um, a man named um, Simon, the one with a serious skin condition. Your version might call him the leper. And it was his house that Jesus is anointed with oil in chapter 14. And then, of course, um, this lady, Mary, who anoints him with oil. And, and then that little reference probably to John Mark himself, the author who, who um, what, what a great way to put yourself in the gospel. He, he ran away naked. But he's, what he wants us to know, he was, he was there. He was there. He's part of the story. And then, um, we didn't read this, but um, verse 21 of chapter 15. Imagine being this man in the story. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon, a Cyrenian the father of Alexander and Rufus, even his sons get named because that man becomes part of the story, Simon of Cyrene. And then there's another man, um, Joseph of Arimathea. And again, we didn't read this, but let's just go back to the end of chapter 15. When it was already evening because it was preparation, verse 42. When it was already evening because it was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin who was himself looking forward to the kingdom of God, came and boldly went in to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the... By the way, they didn't take his life. He gave himself up. He decided when he'd die. And he decided to die at uh, three in the afternoon. After he brought, uh, when he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. And after he bought some fine linen, he took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And then he placed him in a tomb cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Now Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was placed. There's Joseph of Arimathea. What a part in the story. He carried the cross. There's a... Um, when um, Deborah had a significant birthday, uh, I can't remember if it was a 21st or a 30th, but uh, we went to Florence for a weekend. It was absolutely fantastic. And um, one of the most moving things we saw there was um, a statue by Michelangelo. And it's a statue in which he's, he has carved himself as the one who took Christ's body off the cross. I don't remember the name of it. Some of you might have seen it. But, but it's the most moving thing to read the description of Michelangelo um, putting himself in this story of Christ's last days. Incredible. And there's Joseph of Arimathea doing, a, doing this here. And then uh, you get the ladies, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome, 
and uh, Mary Magdalene again. The one, the one out of, isn't that an amazing description? The first to see him was Mary Magdalene, the one out of whom he'd driven seven demons. But you know, the story is incomplete without any of them. They're all in the story. They each played a key part. That version by um, N.T. Wright in chapter 14, where it describes Mary anointing him with oil, it says this, verse 8 in in this version, it says, she's done what she could. N.T. Wright says, she's played her part. And he says, the story of what she's done will be told. I love the fact that in these chapters, we don't have nameless, faceless extras. We have men and women who are part of the story. And I just want to finish by saying that's what our church should be like. Men and women, all named, all part of the story. All part of the gospel. Every one of us, part of the good news. Annie and I met this week with a a lady from the local council. And she came to meet us and we'd not met before, but she'd been on our website. So she recognized a few of the people and uh, she said um, her opening comment to us was, uh, it's really good to be here, she said. And there was quite a few things going on in the building at the time. She said, I love your website. She said, what I love about it is everybody looks happy. And then she said, and coming here, everybody is happy. (laughs) They still look, I I think she saw one of my sports and stock photos, you know, (laughs) or Photoshop smiles on people. But I got thinking about what we represent together, all of us part of the story. I got to think about all the ways we all serve, we're all involved, where there's, there's so much going on. There's, if, if you did a, a list of all our volunteers, it would, it'd be, it would be the entire church a directory, which you can get on church app, by the way. <laughs> I'm rubbish with uh, new technology, but church app's really easy to use. You'll enjoy it. And um, we're all involved. We're, this is a church of amazing teamwork. I've got to say, it's the best church in the whole world. Part of the body of Christ. At the end of this gospel, you find some, some of them were sleeping when Jesus needed them to stay awake. You find Peter, despite all his protests, denied him three times. You even find one of them betrayed him. I I know none of us will betray Jesus. But it's easy to fall asleep on the job sometimes. It's possible to deny the task we've been called to, this epic commission. I trust we will all make the decision. Don't say, surely not me, Lord. Just say, Lord, it's not me. I'm not going to fall asleep on the job. I'm not going to deny what you've called me to, what you've, what you've given us to do here. And then at the end of the gospel, right at the end, let's just pick up these last two verses. Verse 19 and 20. Then after speaking to them, 
The Lord Jesus, this, this needs more than a verse to describe this, doesn't it? The Lord Jesus was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And look at the turn of phrase here. I don't know what your version says. And they went out and they preached everywhere. And the, the Lord working with them. It's almost like they took the lead and the Lord followed. The Lord was working with them. You know, we know they were working with the Lord, but the Lord was working with them. He wants to uh, work with us. We've got two-thirds of the year left. To go like there's no tomorrow. And to give because we won't run out. And to gather like this, knowing we all make a difference, and to grow like never before. So Mark ends... Um, ends the earthly life of Jesus, but begins phase two of the mission. His physical body that he had while he was on earth went back to heaven, but he still has a body on earth. He's still continuing all that he began to do. And Lord, I want to thank you this morning for including us in this epic story, this amazing story gospel, this good news. I want to thank you that first it has found us. To thank you for all you went through to enable me to live in righteousness. Thank you you became sin to take my sin away. You became, um, you took all, all our sickness and all our disease that we could live in health. Thank you that you've commissioned us to share this good news with everybody we meet, all creation, every nation. And Lord, I pray that this morning there will be fresh revelation, fresh inspiration, fresh compelling to go into all the world. We want to bless our neighbors love our neighbors, love them enough to share our good news with them, not to shrink back. I pray, Lord, there'll be a great anointing upon us as we preach. We thank you, you work with us, signs follow. We pray an outbreak of healing through our hands, Lord. We pray a, a, an epidemic of salvation. Let good news be rampant in our region, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our wonderful Savior. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.